welcome back to Between Sessions Podcast. Today we are joined by Rashawn Miller and we are going to talk about mental health, his struggles with mental health. And I'm curious what led, I'm assuming your struggles, but I'm curious what led you into becoming a mental professional um, and just the resources that are available and things like that. If you caught the um, town hall, then, you know, Rashawn was one of our panelists and it was a really good discussion. And so we're happy to have him on again to talk more about his experiences with mental health and what he's doing in minority communities. So thanks for joining me. Oh, I just jumped right in, didn't I? I'm Ebony Harris. And I'm Elisa Bokeen, and we are two brown chicks changing the face of therapy on both sides of the couch. Thank you. (laughs) She's eager to get into this podcast. I'm like, let's start the conversation. (laughs) Sorry. Yes, y'all are listening to Between Sessions podcast. Um, Do we have announcements before we get started? Uh, We can save the announcements for the end. Because I've got, we've got a webinar coming up, and then I was going to give some details about a giveaway that we're going to be doing. So, but we can wait till the end for those. All right. So, um, we're going to just go ahead and get started. Alisa, do you want to do like a formal introduction of Rashawn? Yes. Let me pull it up this man does a lot. So, oh. let me pull it up. <laughs> you gonna read the whole thing? Or you gonna give the? You know what? I'm gonna do the version. Right. He's like, please don't do the whole thing. <laughs> He is an author. He is a mental health advocate. He is a licensed practitioner. He is a speaker. He is an entrepreneur. He's just all around dope and um, just really, really authentic and just so courageous with the way that he presents his story and lets people really get to know. I'm talking about like you, like you're not even here, Rashawn, but the way that you do all these things so that um, you can really... I mean, when we talk about change, changing the face of therapy on both sides of the couch, I think you really are a representative of that. Yes. You. You're you. welcome. I'm excited. <laughs> well, hopefully this will be a good time. So we're, we're, we want to start off with where did your passion uh, for promoting mental health in minority communities, where did that come from? Uh, man, it came from a personal experience. Uh, I actually was diagnosed with bipolar disorder back in 2006. Um, and it was something that was put on me, not because I was willingly going to seek therapy or knew anything about mental health. It was basically because I was drugged to the hospital by my family. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were able to pick up on, you know, different things that were changing in me. And they understood that I wasn't the Sean that they were used to. So um, when they noticed those changes, I actually uh, went through a period where I didn't sleep for a couple of weeks. I uh, lost about 25 pounds over a matter of like six weeks. Wow. And then I just, I really wasn't taking care of myself. I mm-hmm. wasn't showering, wasn't, you know, didn't, my hair was all over the place. And it was just, it's bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when they noticed that, they said, we need to get you some help. Well, at first they started asking me, what's going on? And um, I was like, you know, nothing. I'm co- I'm good. I'm good. Uh, so it was like, well, well, since you won't tell us what's going on and we can see something that's definitely wrong, we're going to take you to the hospital. And when they took me to the hospital, they like literally drugged me there. And uh, that's what led me into being restrained and uh, being sedated. But then uh, I was in the hospital for a little bit and ended up receiving my diagnosis. Uh, after I received my diagnosis, ended up um, getting out of the hospital, started therapy and started meds, uh, got better. But when I got better, I stopped. 
And um, I think one of the key things for that was that when I was when I was taken to the hospital, none of my friends knew what was going on. So I, I kept it hid away from a lot of people. And when I stopped and actually went back to school, uh, my symptoms came back and I started self-medicating my alcohol this time to try to uh, uh, subdue those symptoms. Mm. And during that time period, um, drinking a fifth of tequila, I did that for about, I did drinking a fifth of tequila every other day. Uh, I did that for about four years. And from there, uh, during those time periods and during my stages of depression, I attempted suicide uh, three times. The first two times I overdosed on pills, and then the last time I put a gun in my head and pulled the trigger, and it jammed on. Mm-hmm. So that was something that I really—it uh, was a, a wake-up call for me. And uh, but then I started to realize why a lot of our people don't seek help. Mm-hmm. And I, I had my diagnosis for seven years, wow. and by me hiding it, you know, people couldn't pick up on those signs and symptoms. Because I got good at masking it from my family, because they already knew what was going on, but I knew I needed to keep it away from them. My friends, my friends didn't know. Oh, Sean's out drinking all day, every day. Uh, yeah. There's an issue with that. Um, so, what really got me into it was me getting better that second time. But then also me realizing that me going back and looking at my journey um, as far as getting help and getting therapy, I was forced into it for one. But then when I was forced into it, nobody looked like me. Mm-hmm. And so I wasn't comfortable with sharing what was really going on with me, sharing, telling people that I was hearing voices and that I wasn't sleeping and all those things. Because I'm looking at them like, oh, you're white, man. You, you're not about to judge me. For right. Mm-hmm. So, and then I, I don't trust you already anyway. So um, I noticed that void and I wanted to fill that void and really get the help, really help our people get the help that they need. Right. I think that's a good point to make because I feel like that fear is really what stops people from going because they, one, it's it's the fear of even having to go to a hospital, but the fear of other people judging whatever they're going through and making decisions for their life based on like, I'm struggling right now. And um, that, I think that's very prevalent. And it's even prevalent in like when we're talking about referring people, we just had a conversation about this before Mm -hmm. this um, podcast, like when referring people, I might have a client that is going through some stuff, but I know that they aren't at a place to need to get hospitalized. Hospitalized? Okay, why can't I say that word? Put in the hospital. <laughs> but um, if I send them to certain clinicians, that may be the first step because they just don't understand how they may deal with their stress or their anger or whatever the case might be. And so I do think that stops people from seeking help sometimes. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. And then we, just, we just don't know what therapy looks like because that's not something that we talk about in black and brown communities. Exactly, so, exactly. You know, we don't know what that process is. Right. Uh, we, uh, you know, you're supposed to talk about your emotions and we already don't talk about, especially as a man, we don't talk mm-hmm. about your emotions anyway, so I'm already uncomfortable before I get in there. Right, right. You're going to force me to talk about something that I've never talked about before. Right, right. Yeah. And then being in such a vulnerable state. Right. You're just even trying to figure out what you're experiencing, what you're experiencing, and everything that you're going through, and then add that to all these other layers um, to really not not know which way to turn. Which right. I think is is what's interesting about you, uh, Rashawn, is you know I remember in one of your other interviews them asking you, well, you know, was it because you had low self esteem or you were insecure? And you're like, no, I was right. 
everything was great. <laughs> that was, was Charlemagne asked me that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think it's important to highlight that because I do think that people, you know, like you said, I was really, really good at masking this. It wasn't like I was, you know, you know, the lonely person who, you know, who didn't have the ability to be social. Like you, mm-hmm. you, were, you know, you had everything in your favor in that regards and still you were struggling and again, not knowing what people are sometimes going through. Right. I mean, we, we, we have these preconceived notions of what mental illness looks like or what depression looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like, I mean, I was, a, I was an athlete, I was a top scholar. So, and it doesn't, it doesn't discriminate on who, who it really affects. And so that, like you said, um, I could, I was out every day, all day smiling and, you know, in people's faces and, but I was struggling on the inside. Right. Right. And, and especially in minority communities, we're taught to, to put on a good face, put on a strong face when you're around other people, you don't show people your weaknesses, whatever happens in the house, you keep it in the house, you know, all those messages that we're taught keep us from being vulnerable or being honest when we're around people that aren't close to us and even with the people that are close to us. Yeah, but we don't need to share stuff with our own family members. Right, exactly. You don't talk about certain things or, you know, we keep secrets and it's, it's a whole mess of messages that we've been taught our whole life that keep us from even seeing the benefit of reaching out for help. Or seeking help from others, yeah. So you recently wrote a book, Injured Reserve, a Black Man's Playbook playbook to Handle Being Sidelined by Mental Illnesses. Um, Can you share what led to the moment of you having a loaded gun and deciding that you wanted to just end your life? Oh, man. It was so much that was going on at that time, man. Um, I was, there's relationship issues. It was finances uh, um, just family was worried about me I felt like a lot of times when people think about suicide they think about that it's a selfish act honestly I thought about everybody else that was around me I, I, I mean my, my first thought was if I'm no longer here they won't have to worry about me they can mm-hmm. um, I don't have to be a burden to them I don't you know have to be a mess up to everybody because I, I mean, although I had a lot of things going good for me, I couldn't see those things. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything that I seen was negative, mm. like no matter what. Um, and and then I, the gun came into play because I used to I owned the gun and I always had it, but for me to attempt suicide the first two times, you know, just simply overdosing on pills or attempt to overdose on pills, um, I was like, well. I'm gonna make sure I, I make sure I do this right this time. Mm-hmm. So like I'm, this is 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 no is no second guessing and you know to have the I, I call it courage because you gotta think about it you gotta, you gotta have some balls to try to kill yourself. Yeah, right, right. Absolutely. <laughs> just, just just be honest. Yeah, and to do that the first two times and fail to realize I was like yo that was like one of my lowest points. So I was like, okay, I can't go through that anymore. So let me make sure I do it right this time. Mm. Right. And, and and I think sorry, go ahead. And I mean, and then when when it when it jammed on me, <laughs> I was like, yo, now now this is the lowest one. I'm right. On. Like I still can't do right. Wow. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I like the point that you made though about because it is uh, it's it's frustrating to read people comments like this is selfish how could you do this to the people that love you and so many people that you talk to that have survived suicide attempts 
um, are saying like, no, I wanted to help everybody. I didn't want to be a burden. I didn't want them to have to worry about me anymore. I felt like I was draining them or whatever the case may be. Like, it's not about like, I'm doing this just for myself. I'm doing this to try to make everybody else's life easier or better. But that's not how the, the survivors see it, um, which is unfortunate. Cause, but then on top of that, people have to realize that uh, you have to be in a, a very bad state Mm-hmm. to want to end your life and right. some tremendous pain emotion. Right. so I mean and you're not you you don't have that sense of um, perception that where you're thinking about what's going to happen after the fact yeah yeah you don't have that sense of reality you're you're thinking about the now and then mm-hmm. that's it and a lot of people like you said a lot of people are like oh it's selfish or oh, I can't see myself killing myself. I mean, honestly, if I'm the voices in my head were so loud at that particular time, it really did not matter who was in front of me, who was trying to get me to stop, or any of those things. Mm-hmm. So that was my reality, right? Right. It's so, relief from all of it. That's just kind of what yeah. the overall theme is like: just wanting relief for yourself from this tremendous pain and wanting relief the way that you saw relief for your family, like from them going through that. That's just, you know, um, really highlights to me, again, that tremendous amount of pain that one is in to even contemplate, like this This would be the best thing for everyone. Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. And, and I think the struggle is that it's hard to conceptualize emotional pain. Mm-hmm. Like if someone is getting abused every day or something like that, like we can we can mentally understand that. But I think for the person going through it, even for them, it's hard to understand. Like, I, it's not like somebody's doing this to me. Like, I just have this. I'm just feeling this. So if I'm getting and I don't want to diminish one or the other, but if I'm getting physically abused, I know where it comes from. Right. I know there's a way. Well, maybe I don't see a way out, but I know that the the source of the pain, mm-hmm. whereas that emotional pain, sometimes you don't even recognize that there's a source or where like it's just me. And so there is no way out. Yeah, you can't get away from it. You can't exactly. You can't get away from the voices that are there. You can't get away from the from the emotions. Like, and then the frustrating part of people not seeing that, and mm-hmm. then you having to have the happy face. Mm-hmm. And I mean, yeah. I, sometimes I explain to people. Let's say if you get a you get in an argument with a friend or something, and y'all are screaming at the top of your lungs, you get to the point where you're like, I don't want to deal with this no more. You can leave. Right, right. Yeah. I had at a particular time, I had three voices in my head screaming to the top of their lungs, and then I have my own thoughts. And mm-hmm. then, no matter where I go, they're mm-hmm. with me. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even if I lay down to go to sleep, I can't go to sleep because it's so much stuff going on in my head. So you don't get any rest. Right, right. You don't. You don't find no relief. Right. Yeah. The relief I did find was at the bottom of a bottle, but that's because I passed out from drinking too much. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And so then, but then you also thinking about people don't know you have a diagnosis. Mm-hmm. And so you're hearing it, I could be sitting in front of somebody talking and I'm hearing a voice and I'm turning and like, I'm trying to make sure that mm. I'm <laughs> acting normal. Right, right. While I have all of this other stuff going on in my head. So they're not looking at me sideways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what about you said that you found relief at the bottom of a bottle. Um, can you talk about some of those coping skills that you use during that time? And 
how it was probably masked as just normal social behaviors? Um, well, drinking that was that was my main that was my main right. coping. Mm-hmm. Uh, promiscuous behavior, mm-hmm. like just constant sexual activity. It was it was bad, man. Mm-hmm. Um, also, uh, like I would I because I would just be speeding and stuff a lot, like doing a lot of reckless behaviors when it mm-hmm. comes down to like feeling invincible at, at times. Right. Um, also, uh, partying a lot. Uh, and just not sleeping. I mean, like I said, I wasn't sleeping to, I will only sleep when I pass out. Yeah. So, uh, I didn't really, ha- I didn't really have no good coping skills. Right. But some of those things can be confused as like normal behavior. So if you're going through that, right? Cause like, like you just being a college boy. Right. Like I just drink a lot. I have a lot of sex and it's great. Like how do you determine that this isn't necessarily the, the, appropriate coping skills or how do you determine if your behaviors are becoming problematic right it it becomes problematic well i can't even say i would say it becomes problematic when it affects your daily life i was i was functional Mm -hmm. i was working a full-time job um and i was in college at the time and i ended up finishing school on time Mm -hmm. uh i even experimented with so many different drugs and stuff like i mean you would you name it like i mean it was like I think the really, really, what it comes down to is we have to change the narrative about these different uh, coping mechanisms that we utilize on a daily basis, mm-hmm. and just really check people regardless. Right. Like a lot of times, even when I tell people now that you know you have a stressful day at work, they were like, "Oh, I need to go get a glass of wine." Mm-hmm. No, we need to process what what made your day stressful. How can you make it a little less stressful the next day, and then you can possibly have a glass of wine. It's not your glass of wine is not going to change how your day went. Right, right. You get that false sense of security from substances, especially mm-hmm. just because they're illegal. Mm-hmm. That's what I was gonna say because yeah, we all like a nice happy hour. <laughs> <laughs> we do regular happy hours <laughs> before you get too happy. Right. <laughs> but I think no, but it's great because it is it's norm it it is part of our culture. And, you know, I think this, the, the whole, you know, like you were successful, you were popular, you're, you know, you have all these things going for you, right? Mm-hmm. All the things. So, yeah, he's got it together. So maybe, you know, he's having a good time. He's just being young, you know, but look, he's, he's managing all his responsibilities. Um, mm-hmm. So what you're saying about checking on your people, like, regardless you know, if it seems like they've got everything going on. And I think, you know, because another one of the things you talk about a lot is self-care. So mm-hmm. checking on yourself a lot, like, you know, right. pausing and thinking the way like, like you just said, before I go get that glass of wine, what am I trying to drink away today? Right, right, right. And then, and, I mean, and really recognizing how does something affect you? Um, I think a lot of times, you know, people people consider, oh, I'm going to get a drink at self-care. No, that's not self-care. Yeah, <laughs> right. Like, I need to smoke this blood. This blood clot in my nerve. That's my self-care. No. No, it's just masking whatever's going on. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And I think, I think the trouble with that is we are not allotted time to figure out who we are. Mm-hmm. And the things that we enjoy, that genuinely enjoy, and not 
being influenced by any outside force. Like I've had somebody told me, uh, well, you should be happy because this, this, that, and the third went on. How are you going to tell me how I should feel? Right. <laughs> when I'm already telling you how I do feel, mm-hmm. I keep saying that I, I'm, and it's not saying that I'm not grateful for whatever has gone on, but this is how I still feel. Mm-hmm. So there's an issue with that. So I need to understand what that issue is, why I don't feel certain way. Right. Well, I think that also speaks to us. You know, I think often that that does make people uncomfortable because we do place so much value on external signs of success. And Mm -hmm. so on some level, if, hey, you got it all going on, right? Like, so you're doing this, you're doing that, you're getting awarded for this, you know, you're here, you're there. Like you should get, you should have it all together. Because somewhere in my mind, I'm that's what I'm striving for. And I'm right. if I get all of those accomplishments, I'm gonna be good. So I really can't hear this that I gotta do that internal work because that stuff's not as fun. Right. 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 And I think yeah, definitely you're looking for those external things to kind of help you feel successful or feel like I've made it. But if you haven't dealt with anything internally, it's still gonna be some type of an emptiness or hole there. And it and even the most successful people struggle. Like it's not about outlay successful. Like everybody has a bad day. Every so you you shouldn't tell anyone what they should be feeling or oh that shouldn't be that big of a deal for you because you have all of this going on. Like it doesn't matter. I'm gonna feel how I feel. And when I go through rough times, I have to deal with that. I can't just mask it with, well, I, I did make this much money yesterday, so I guess I shouldn't feel that. Like that makes no sense at all. Right. More money, more problems anyway. So it's just gonna come. It's coming. I think that's a big reason why people who like when we do accomplish certain parts, like why, why people don't reach out mm-hmm. because, okay, I'm supposed to have it all. I'm supposed to be happy now. I'm supposed to have it all together. And I think that's a big part of why people don't seek out help. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Right. Mm-hmm. For, for fear of someone judging you for the fact that you're they're thinking that you're not grateful for right. whatever you have accomplished or or for fear that they may minimalize your your emotions and feelings. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Definitely, definitely. So for you, what was the pressure growing up and even now on being a successful man and specifically a successful black man because there's a, way more pressure on like you have to hit this standard as a black man. Yeah. How did that affect your mental health before being diagnosed and how does it affect you now? Uh, before, uh, I had a lot of pressure. I mean, I was the only child, but I had cousins and stuff, um, growing up and I was always that smart kid that was also, you know, good at sports too. So it was a pressure of performing in the classroom, but then, uh, also performing on the field, which, which, uh, would lead to me making it out of Burke T County. Mm. Burke T County, man, is, is very small. We had like, <laughs> And I mean, it's very rural. So we still have farms and stuff down there. And we only had one high school. And, but it's, it's home. Mm-hmm. But people look at it like, yo, we got somebody got to make it out so you can put the hood on. And, you know, we can, you know, everybody's going to root for you. But you the home team. And we, yeah. we, we're putting all this backing behind all of this community uh, backing behind you because we're counting on you. Mm-hmm. Um, so growing up, you know, as a smart kid, it was like, oh, we we tell, especially in the black and brown communities, man, we we tell our people if, if you're smart, oh, you're going to be a doctor, or you're going to be a lawyer, or you you know, and then if you're an athlete, oh, you're going to try to make it to the league. 
we don't give them that opportunity to figure out what they really want to do or right. you know, explore those different options. They want you to be X so that you can make X amount of dollars mm-hmm. and then hopefully bring X amount of dollars back to the hoop. Mm-hmm. And, that's, mm-hmm. that's, and so you add that pressure on to um, graduating at the top of my class and going to Carolina, uh, actually walking on to the football team and the track team. Um just trying to keep up that facade, man. Uh, I had a real gut check when I got to Carolina because mm. I, I was a smart kid in Burt TV. When I got to Carolina, I realized I didn't know nothing when it came down to mm. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, you know, but still trying to put up that facade for the people back home that, yo, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm still thriving. Mm-hmm. Mm. Right. Um, so, like, you know, just, just, and then we have this, this, um, preconceived notion of what success is. We think, like you said, we think if you make X amount of dollars or you drive this car or you wear X amount of clothes or or certain people know you. And even now to these days, now is you have X amount of followers or right. you get a lot of likes on your pictures. And, mm-hmm. you know, so, I mean, it's, it's another another layer to being successful, but it's, it's stressful. Right, right. Yeah. And I, I think that's that's it just looks different. It's the same thing. It's the right. same expectation. It's the same, especially if you are trying to have some type of a brand or be in the public. It's kind of like that comparison of, well, we're not where they are or you don't have as much as this person. And it, it all can cause you to kind of get down on yourself. But then, like you said earlier, it makes it harder to seek out help because people think you have it together, right? Yeah, it right. looks like you have it all together when in the background, me and Elisa be like, what the heck is going on with Melanie? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, people writing us asking us, can y'all donate this money to here and there? And we're like, what do you think we're doing over here? So I definitely, I definitely get it. So like, I guess prior to my diagnosis, um, but then also, I got hall passes for certain things. Mm-hmm. As I look back at when I was younger, man, I had a bad attitude problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was very quick tempered. I would easily fight. Um, and just like everybody already knew that, yo, you don't cross Sean mm-hmm. when it comes down to certain things. And, but then if I fight, I get excused for it because I was I was I had good grades and then I also was an athlete. Mm-hmm. So they don't address those things. Or right. like, hey, why do you have these anger problems? Or mm-hmm. why, you know, what is up with your mood? What is because I wasn't the typical the person that um, you know you see as a being a, a disrupting class. They didn't see my anger issues as something that was something that needed to be addressed. Oh, it's just Sean. And then you also, you know, you, you categorize it as the, the black male child. So, I mean, that's what they are. That's all they are anyway. Right. Right. So, you know, as a black man, the only thing that you are able to, to really express is happiness or anger. That's it. And being sexual. Men like yeah, they can be sexual. They can be aggressive. Mm-hmm. Uh, they can be happy. That's it. That's it. Right. And so <clears throat> when you see those behaviors, it's not an issue. This right. is just not, right. That's not an issue. And so that's what a lot of that played into me not seeking out help. And but mm-hmm. I mean, I'm I'm so grateful for my family. They recognize the difference and drug me to the hospital. Yeah. So you know, now I, I think um now just the, the pressure of success, just the the platform that I've created and 
just the supporters that I get. And then just honestly, just being a therapist, a black man therapist. Yeah. For one. Like there are not a lot of us out here. You're like, yes, there, there are. <laughs> look, look. <laughs> right. We leaning on y'all. We always searching for y'all. <laughs> so I'm always being pulled in multiple directions. Oh, we need you here. Or I need you there. Or I, you know, I need the you to. Uh, <laughs> right, right. I mean, but I mean, you know, so like, or like, and, and I think one of the things when it comes down to this social media stuff, and then um, I enjoy my platform, but then I also realize that people have a conception that um, you are at their disposal. Mm-hmm. And so I can, I can really see, not saying that I'm a celebrity at all, but I can see how celebrities. Um, get filled, get um, pulled thin because they're they're always pulled in multiple directions, and because they are public figures, people feel like, oh, you better respond to me, or you right. better. <laughs> it's like, yeah. yeah, and so and they feel entitled to you, mm-hmm. right? Like, like you're ours, right? <laughs> right. They, they don't look at you. They don't look at you as a person anymore. Right. They look at you as an object, and then like you are my object. So when I need you. You need to be readily available and really reach out and do whatever I ask you to do. Exactly. And if you don't, then I'm gonna blast you. Hey. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. They, they, they don't think about the fifty other million things that you may have going on, or just mm-hmm. dealing with life. You just may have a bad day. Mm-hmm. And I don't feel like dealing with nobody. <laughs> yeah, I think about that a lot when it comes to like celebrities and when someone wants to talk to them or take pictures and they're like, no, nah, not today. And no. And it's like, well, did it? you know, they go off and it's like, these are humans. Like, <laughs> they are robots. Yeah, but it happens. I have a question because when you, you know, you're, you were talking about being young and kind of getting these passes and, you know, the thing that I was wondering the whole time, because you said there was these different signs, but you was always a, you were a great kid also. And mm-hmm. then being an only child and then, you know, being a boy and kind of, I would imagine being the apple of everyone's eye when you're, you know, so what do you think you really needed? Like, cause there's something missing, right? Like as far as, cause you kept kind of saying like, what, what do you think you really needed at that time? Huh, that's a great question, man. Um, I needed words Mm. to learn how to express myself Mm. outside of being physical, outside of um, just uh, suppressing it. Mm. Then we didn't, you know, we don't teach men how to talk. Mm -hmm. We don't teach men. We we always tell men to suck it up. You know, we, we always tell men that to just man up. So we, we we teach them to suppress things mm-hmm. that takes our voice away from us. So nobody really asking you like, what's going on with you? Right. No. Like, what is, what's going on like inside of you? Like, what's going on? Like, what do you you know? So, but so, even with that, mm-hmm. oh sorry, go ahead. Go ahead, I'm sorry. I was just saying, even with that, do you have the language to be able to express that? Right. Like, what's going on? Right. Don't have that language. Yeah. We don't. We even if you're. It's like it's it's so it's like committing a sin when you, when you when you when a boy says he's sad right. or he wants to cry. Mm-hmm. So you you don't have that in your repertoire to lean back on whenever you feel that type of emotion. 
So when you when you feel that emotion, you can't put a word to it, and you just be like, man, I got to get over this mm. somehow, some way. Or I got to yeah. act some other way to get certain things done. Um, and I, I mean, just I don't know, man. It's 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 so it's very very interesting um, just to think about my childhood and certain things. Like I said, I was a big kid, but then also here recently, within the last few months, I realized that I was molested when I was a kid. Mm. Mm. Um, but it wasn't something that I seen as bad at the time because it was it was by an older woman. Right. Well, it was by a female and she was older, but you know, so you look at men and oh, if you get introduced to sex when you're eight, nine years old, that's still fine. Right, right, right. Yeah. You know, so so those types of things that being exposed to that stuff early on and uh, it's just a lot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, I think one thing I would say, one thing I needed when I was younger was having a man in my life being able to communicate with me mm-hmm. about what it what it means to be a man, but then also to understand that it's okay to feel certain types of things, that you don't have to try to always put up this facade. Because a lot of that stuff, even the anger and acting out, it was an act. Right. Right. Well, it makes me think of, you know, everything like that you're talking about, you know, the way also that, you know, for example, trauma is internalized and stored in your body. And like you said, like, I'm not even realizing till later on, you know, certain things or just be, it's like this volcano that was just kind of similar. Simmering, simmering. Definitely. And not yeah. having like another type of release to really even just kind of say like what you're going through right now. And, you know, just I just keep thinking how early, you know, you have to be able to, to just give children the language. Like, oh, you're sad right now. Oh, yeah, you're yeah. Right, right. I mean, I mean, then, and then we can't minimize children's feelings. Because exactly. a lot of times we say, oh, kids, y'all ain't got nothing to stress about. All you got to do right. Yeah. We ain't got no exactly. <laughs> Especially in this day and age, like no, I'm so thankful there was, there were no mobile phone cameras. Oh, back damn. Back. <laughs> man, I wouldn't be able to do this. <laughs> hey, look, Facebook Live. No hey. <laughs> all these different pictures and videos and stuff coming yeah. up. Yeah, yeah. Mm. We definitely <laughs> undervalue or, or just don't even like acknowledge what kids and teens go through when we were younger and then especially now. Mm-hmm. And I think that especially for, for boys and I'll say black boys in particular, but my minority boys, it's like, you're supposed to be a little man, right? You don't even get yeah. to have a childhood. Yeah. And so I think that goes into like um, the sexual abuse that a lot of young boys go through where it's kind of minimalized because it's like, Oh, well you're a boy. That's normal. Or right. that's, you know, you just got a head start or whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. And, and it's not acknowledged like these are children. They're allowed to be children just because they're boys don't mean that they have to skip out on their childhood. We definitely push that. Mm-hmm. So now today, what is your, with everything that you've been through with um, just life in general, what is your definition of success? Uh, success for me is continue to learn who I am, man. Mm-hmm. And like never stop getting better. Mm-hmm. Um, being in tune with myself and me being able to be in tune with myself helps me help others. Mm. Um, 
I realized that the journey that I'm on is not for me. It's, it's for the generations before me, it's for my generation, and it's for the generations behind me. Because mm-hmm. I, I try to connect those dots to help individuals that are older than me find their voice and then also help translate my generation, yo, this is the stuff that you're going through. This is what we need to do to help you get better. And also not minimalizing the generation after us and letting them see that, yo, it's cool to talk about your feelings, bro. Like, Mm -hmm. all right, you you ain't got to go through the stuff that I went through to get to where I'm at. Right. And I don't don't want you to get, I don't want you to go through that. Especially yeah. not. So I think success for me is is continue to work on myself, but then also utilizing me as a vessel to help other people. Mm. That's a good one. Yes. I would agree with that. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so how now that you have better coping skills, how do you deal with with your tough? Well, I don't know, maybe. But how do you deal with your tough days now? <laughs> oh man, so for me. Again. Hmm? You stay in the gym. Yeah, I mean, I have to. It's, that's, 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 a, that's a top priority. It's, it's, we, we, we try to separate physical health and mental health, but they all they work hand in hand. Definitely, definitely. So um, one, yeah, one major thing is, is getting in the gym, uh, meditation. I start doing yoga. Yoga is a beast. <laughs> <laughs> It's, it is a beast, not just for the simple fact that it, it the physical um, things that I have to do with my body that I've never done before, but then also just the creating patience within yourself, mm-hmm. understanding that, yeah, you won't be able to get into a full crow pose your very first time that you try yoga. But if you be patient and diligent and disciplined, you will be able to get to that point at some point in your life. Uh, it's not going to happen today. It may not happen next week. It may not even happen this year. Mm-hmm. You have yoga that have been practicing, you know, the the art for decades, mm-hmm. and they still don't, you know, they still work on trying to perfect their craft when it comes down to getting into certain poses. Uh, as you learning how to control your breathing. Um, yeah. When I started yoga, I started feeling muscles that I never felt before. Right. <laughs> yeah. So when you feel the, when I feel those new muscles, I'm like, okay. Now I'm being even more in tune with my body mm-hmm. and learning how things affect me on uh, on the inside. Mm-hmm. Uh, journal. That's that's my thing too. I, I journal every single day. Uh, one thing that I, I try to teach um, my my clients and the people that I work with is in my journal. Man, I, I keep track of everything. I keep I keep track of how much how many hours I sleep. I keep track of what I eat. I keep track of uh, who I talk to. Who pisses me off that day? <laughs> Like, it's important, <laughs> right? Like seriously, because we we try to keep a mental rolodex of things that increase our, our stress levels, and you forget. Like, I mean, to be honest, I don't, some stuff I don't even remember that I did yesterday. Right. So I need I need to keep track of those things. Yeah. So I can go back and look at it and be like, yo, I don't need to talk to this person. Mm-hmm. Uh, I may need to talk more to this person. This person I may need to eliminate out of my life altogether. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or or not even a person, but a thing maybe. You know, I had a drink or something like that. How did that affect whatever else I had going on that day? Yeah. So I keep track of all of those things. Um, coloring. Coloring is my thing, too. So that's that's another thing that I do. Okay. Uh, I like to hike. Um, I, I have to be out in nature. 
some some type of way. I try to make that a thing at least once a week. Um, and just being able to um, be open with my friends, especially my close friends when it comes down to certain things and letting them know that you know, I'm, I'm just not having a good day today. And I, I don't know how to put it into words. Um, even as much as, as much as I talk about mental health, sometimes I just don't have the words to certain things. Right. I'm not <laughs> so, and and then under, and then my and then letting my friends know how to help me. Sometimes, uh, like my, my my boy Dorian or my boy Nick, and when we sometimes I'd be like, "Look, I'm just coming over. I don't need, I don't want to talk to you, and I don't need to talk to you. I just need your presence there, and then that's, mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's it." Right. <laughs> you have to be comfortable enough to be able to tell somebody that and then for somebody to be able to receive that. Because a lot of times, you know, as therapists, we, we're we comfortable with sitting in silence. Most people are not. Right. Right. That's true. Trying to fill that void with some type of noise or something. No, mm-hmm. I just want to and let And let's bounce our energies off of each other and just it. That's all I need. Yeah. Yeah. I like that, um, the journaling piece, because I feel like I a lot of times you talk to clients about journaling or, you you know, trying to introduce journaling, even myself. And it's sometimes difficult to be like, okay, what do I talk about today? So I like it. It's more of a keeping track than like, I have to write down all my feelings and, yeah. you know, all the kind of stuff. It's kind of like, I'm just going to keep track of what my day was like, mm-hmm. what affected me, what gave me positive energy, what gave me negative energy. So I could just know for the future. Mm-hmm. So that's a, I think that's an easier way, especially for men to introduce journaling. Like just keep track of what you did today. <laughs> Why are you stressing journal coming out real soon? I was gonna say I, I hear like a journal coming out. <laughs> now I know you got something in the mix. People say we got a lot going on. Like I don't, <laughs> I don't know if we can keep up. <laughs> so, what is one thing you think every man should know about self care? Mm, every man should know about self care. To do it. Mm. That's I mean, that's that's it. A lot of times we get caught up in oh I gotta do for the kids, or I gotta do for the significant other, or I gotta go to work, I gotta go do this. I have to provide. Right. Right. That's the thing. You can't provide if you broke down. That's right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. That's that's just it. So um explore ways of self care and then understand understand what self care is and what it isn't. Right, right. Going out, staying out at three, four o'clock in the morning every night and drinking and all, that's not self care. Exactly. Um, so just really understanding what that is for you and, and finding some peace with it and incorporate it into your daily lifestyle. Don't don't wait until um, you can't take it anymore and you're like, oh, now I need to go take a break. Nah, you need to do that every single day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We could get you on the world tour. <laughs> talking to all people about this because you again you know I think that's one of the things that Ebony and I always kind of struggle with is is sending that message but I think it's different when men hear it from a man yeah. and 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 that you are kind of like this you know like the guy next door type of deal you know it's like mm-hmm. it's different in the way that you're talking about it you know, it, without all of the psychology jargon and without right. all of that, like I'm here and, you know, I'm the ex, you know, it's like more people need to hear this and more men need to be talking about this because so many men need to hear it. Right. Yeah. Right, right. 
And I think, I think, you know, we talk about, you know, changing the way therapy looks on both sides of the couch. Um, I think that's because I, I've been on both sides of the couch. That's right. That's right. And I, I hated it when, when I was in a certain atmosphere and I was like, I, I feel like I'm not getting anything done. Right. So to really address the issues, but then, especially as a black man, um, I just, I base it off of what, what I feel like will work for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so like, that's, that's, we have to understand that cultural aspect of it. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's one thing to know all of the, all of the words in the book, but it, you can't help nobody with it. What's the point? Right. 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 Definitely. So last question before we get to like our little quick round, <laughs> but what is um, one thing that you wish every woman knew about men's mental health? <laughs> you said just one? <laughs> one thing. Don't lecture us. We just want one thing. He said he'll be back next week for the next <laughs> <laughs> Oh man! Oh, I see. Well, I guess one thing that I hit on a lot, especially when I speak with women, is um, we. This is I hate generalizing, but this is like a general. Like women try to press men to speak about certain things, mm-hmm. uh, but they have to realize that that's going to, for one, take time, but then also realize that we don't have the words. Um. I've, I've like even I so said this before. Like even when you're raising a young man, uh, women even tell young men, "Man up" or "Don't cry." Right. Okay. But then you you expect your significant other to be able to talk about everything underneath the sun. Mm-hmm. This man is going all throughout his life without talking about certain things and just sucking it up. So it's not going to be something that's, that's that's easy to really open up about. Mm-hmm. So um, for women, just being patient and understanding that um, it's a process. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then also, uh, you know, y'all got to deal with y'all stuff too. Well, right? you, know, cause the, you know the question that women are going to have after they hear that? Mm-hmm. How much time? <laughs> <laughs> how long does it take? How much, how much time? Are, how much time is it taking you to deal with your stuff? That's, that's right. true. Well, it's about an hour and fifty-five minutes, <laughs> and so you got a, a solid two fifty. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I think you're right. You know, it's 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 going back again. It's it's something that affects all of us, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's something mm-hmm. that affects all of us because it really is about what you said earlier changing the way just the narrative and changing for you know we're not just dealing with our stuff we're undoing the stuff that was done to the generations before us right right? and now we're trying to undo that undo our stuff so that the next generations you know we're we're still going to pass on some stuff to them too in the hopes that it won't be as much so you know it, it is it's a lot it's a lot but I'm so um, encouraged, especially because you think about everything that you just said, like to where you were at before, where you're like, I was drinking a fifth of tequila every other day to now I'm mindful. Now I'm taking, you know, the time to journal what I'm doing. What do I need to do? Like, that's so encouraging, I think, for for all of us, Mm -hmm. you know, that there is the possibility of change. And that's that's what I think is is what you really represent is the hope that hey there is just always a way and you can't yeah. tell me there's not because look what I've done right look what I'm doing and I continue to do it 
And I think, too, man, we, especially in black and brown communities, man, we got to get back to the sense of community, man. Absolutely. Like, we're in odds with each other for what? Is it, oh, it's a, you know, Hispanic and black thing. Mm-hmm. Or it's light-skinned, dark-skinned thing. Mm-hmm. Or it's man versus woman thing. No, like, we all deal with something. Like, why can't we help each other out? I get, it, it, it really, <laughs> it really hurts me to see, you know, uh, just a lot of the, the dialogue on social media, like men, dogs, and this, then, the third, and oh, women ain't this, or they yeah. go. I'm like, yo, well, change, y'all, y'all keep talking about it. y'all change the narrative. You be right. that example that you want to actually see. Right. What's yeah. the putting that that energy out there about that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's let's change that. Definitely, definitely. So, what's your favorite book or resource? In addition to the playbook, <laughs> <laughs> where you can get on his website, right. we'll post the link in the comments or in the show notes. Um, man, let's see. Favorite resource, I would say. Um, yo, uh, melanin mental health. When it comes down to just the the, the, the clinicians and stuff, man, man, it's dope. Like. Mm-hmm. Because I get asked all the time, like, look, yo, you know, do you got a black man or, you know, a black woman or a Hispanic woman in this state? I'm like, yo, I live in Charlotte, dude. <laughs> 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 I mean, it's cool. So, I mean, I, I have somewhere to send them to. Yeah. And, like, and it's always, and then, because I'm not knocking psychology today, and, you know, because they have a lot of resources and stuff there. Um, but, when it comes down to it, you know, you got to sort through all of those pictures. Mm-hmm. Now, if I just send them straight to 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 that directory, I got people of color. Mm-hmm. Right. Right, right there. That's yeah. it. You, ain't, you don't have to do a bunch of – for one, people, if you put too many steps in trying to find a therapist, they're not going to do it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's true. That's definitely so, true. So, I mean, you got you to gotta think about that stuff, man. Um, book? Ah, oh, man. I will say your book is great, though. I will say, (laughs) though, like, your book is great. Like, I'm actually getting more copies from my office because it's not just a book that you read from cover to cover without, you know, it's not just your story. It's it's very much kind of like you you tell your story, which is so powerful, just out the gate. And then at the end, you're kind of, you're walking people through, like, this is what I want you to do now and take this to consideration. So you're sharing your story, then you're saying, okay, now do this. So it's very interactive. No, yeah, definitely. definitely. I mean, that's, that's how I approach everything. It's not, like I said before, it's not about me. Right. Like, like none of this is, is, is not about me. It's about helping other people in however I possibly can. Yeah. So me just sharing my story, but then also with that, um, that's why I went and got my degree in counseling. That's why I'm getting my PhD in psychology because right. I understand when I share my story, I'm more than just an advocate. Mm-hmm. Because if I share my story, I understand that it's going to evict emotions in people um, that they got to sit with. So I need a clinical background too to be able to help them with that stuff. So mm-hmm. I'm not out there, I'm going to just throw my story out there just because mental health is a hot topic right now or suicide is a hot topic right now. And just so that y'all, you know, I can get share my story and get some likes and all of that stuff. No, I'm here to actually help. Right. You really put the action into play, really, like having the action. Because 
And I think that's what you will find a lot of times. You go to an event or you go to somebody's seminar and you're like, all right, now what do I do? Right. <laughs> What's next? So tell us about everything you have going on. <laughs> we know it's a lot. Where start from. How do you know to start? Man, look. Ah, I see. What I got going on? So right now, uh, we um, last month, Eustress, actually, uh, we had our inaugural Let's Talk About It Mental Health Awareness Gala. Mm-hmm. Um, dope, man. We had a lot of people there. We had almost 200 people there. And That's we awesome. really just um, had a good time, man. People dressed up. People actually were uh, able to come out for a good cause. It was a fundraising event. But then we also um, announced that we're working on, we're working on our uh, – mental health triage clinic that we want to be uh, launched at the end of the summer is going to be here in Charlotte. And the, the goal for the triage clinic is to have individuals that need care, especially in black and brown communities to get adequate diagnoses and culturally competent diagnoses. Mm. So I see a lot of my, a lot of my boys, I call all my, all my, my, my clients and stuff. I call them my boys, but I got all of my boys, man, they, they, they receive a lot of misdiagnoses and then, uh, they get thrown on medication. So we need co- culturally competent therapists to be able to address these needs and incorporate that cultural factor when it comes down right. to uh, placing a diagnosis on the individual. Right. Um, but then, so the clinic, the goal for the clinic is to do that for free. Uh, but then also with that, uh, we will refer out to a culturally competent clinician that can actually provide the service that that individual um, needs. So, and then the goal for that will be Eustace will pay for therapy for a year for that individual as well. Oh, wow. So, that's the clinic. That's, awesome. that's, the, that's the gist of the clinic. Um, also launched the Pathway to Eustress campaign. So, with the book, with Injury Reserve, we want to get 100,000 copies of Injury Reserve in the, into the hands of 100,000 inmates across the nation. Love it. We all know that, you know, black and brown um, men there, you know, some of them are justly tried and sent to prison, but we make up a majority of the prisons. Mm-hmm. So, and then a lot of uh, people that suffer from mental illness are not hospitalized, but thrown in jail because mm-hmm. we don't have the facilities out here for them. So the goal is to get these books into these men's hands, uh, not even just prisons, but also juvenile detention centers. So these, so they can really start to address what's really going on. Mm-hmm. And then we provide some type of hope for them. Right. Uh, so we just launched that campaign. So it's $10 a book. You get $10. And, uh, and then so the, the beauty of that as well is, let's say if you know somebody that's incarcerated and you donate your $10, uh, if you want to send it to that particular person, you can input their information, and I will write a personal note to that individual as well inside of the book. So not only will they get the book, but they'll also get a personal message from them. So, and it's, 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 it can be a game changer when you receive some personal mail when you're disconnected from, from society. Right. That's so um, That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Your phone call? Oh, yeah. The, I do the, the week. The, so every Wednesday, which is, you know, Wednesday at 8 o'clock, uh, Eastern Standard Time, I do the locker room talk phone calls uh, where men from across the nation, they call in and we check in. We just, we just chop it up. So that's been going on for almost two years now. Um, what else? What else? <laughs> uh, the journal. I'm actually working on the journal, so the journal is coming soon. Uh, membership site is coming very soon as well, so I've been working on that. Um, man, everything else is uh, I got some other stuff going, but I can't remember all of what it is. Uh, Where do we find all of this? <laughs> I'm taking notes. 
<laughs> but we can see what you got coming up. <laughs> right. Oh man, yeah. So um oh oh no, really one dope thing though that I that I'm really excited about coming up. I'm actually leaving today. Um I'll be teaching a class at the University of North Carolina. Uh we're um Going to be teach. I'm going to teach a class on how to mentally survive a PWI as a man of color. Mm. That's gonna be. Yeah, I'm teaching summer school, so that's gonna be wow, dope. Wow, that's fantastic. That's amazing. Wow. wow. That one, man. Um, Professor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Professor Miller. Right. <laughs> yeah. um, okay. Go ahead. Um, yeah, you can find everything uh, either at my website, Rashawn.com, that's R-W-E-N-S-H-A-U-N.com, and uh, you, you can keep up with useless stuff, it's uh, E-U-S-T-R-E-S-S-I-N-C.org. Um, yeah, I try to post as much stuff uh, as, as I possibly can when it comes down to keeping stuff up to date. And one 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 thing that I realized for myself, I need to help doing that. So I got an assistant now. So uh, just, okay. now. <laughs> just now. <laughs> hey, look, man, hey, look, funds, funds, and uh, you know what you need may not add up at right. the same. Right. Know, Get it. We all, we all know this work. is going to get paid. Yes. Like I mean. Uh, but that's a whole nother story. When it co- I, I put therapists and teachers in the same boat, man. So yeah, we we don't get compensated for all the work that we actually do. Okay. But yeah, that's, that's something on a legislative point that we actually need to address. But yeah. All right. Well, we appreciate you. I took so many notes. It's all going to be in the show notes. <laughs> Everything he said, I'm gonna try to link to it. Uh, make sure I link back to Rashawn.com, UStressInc.org. Um, and then have the I'll get the number for the locker room phone call, put that on there so okay. that we can make sure people can actually find it. And we'll put that on our resources. I've been saying that for a while. We need to put that on our resource page okay. um, so people can start calling in. So, um, yeah, thank you for joining us. We really yes, appreciate thank it. Thank you so much. We usually yeah. ask why are you, you know, a dope therapist? Well, if this whole podcast <laughs> tell you and you be the representative of why uh, therapy is dope. I mean, yes, so much. Thank yes. You. I, least, though, I gotta remind everybody about our upcoming webinar next week. It is next Thursday. We are still celebrating Pride Month this year, this month. And so our very own Justin Smith of the Queer Center is going to be leading a webinar on when culture and sexuality intersect in the therapy room. So it's going to be really good. Um, if you are, if you have a directory membership, it's free to you. If, if not, then it's only $10. So sign up for that. And then we are going to start a giveaway today. Um, promote, we're um, going to give away one of those pride shirts that we were wearing um, earlier this month. You can win one of those. And so I'll be posting the details of that giveaway later today. But thank you so much, Rashawn. Yeah, uh, I appreciate y'all. I'm gonna go of get course. My- I'm gonna go start my journaling right now. This is what I learned this morning from Rashawn. Right. <laughs> you wanted to talk some more, Rashawn. <laughs> All right, y'all. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye. <laughs>